You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 173. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your podcasts. I hope we're there. And uh, yeah, find us, leave us a review if there's a thumbs up or a plus button or whatever uh, their uh, modus operandus is for, you know, saying that you liked the show. We would greatly appreciate it if you took the time. Yep. And while you're on the internet, go ahead and check us out at codingblocks.net where you can find all the show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to codingblocks.net and find all our other dillies at the top of the page. <laughs> our dillies. <laughs> Still cracks me up. And I'm Michael Outlaw. And I am Alan Underwood in person with Michael Outlaw. See, I did a better impersonation that time, right, Jay-Z? Yeah, very nice. Hashtag nailed it. (laughs) This episode is sponsored by Linode. Simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in half with Linode's Linux virtual machines. All right. In this episode, we're talking about uh, game engines. What the heck's a game engine? I thought it'd be a a fun one. And we got... uh, well, we'll tell you about the news. We got a game jam coming up, and we're excited about it. And uh, doing a little bit of prep and research here, but first, a little bit of news. Yep. So i I actually found this one just searching around. We did get a review from Podchaser from Jamie Intracasso. So thank you very much for leaving that review up there. Greatly appreciated, and you are not a jerk. So thank you. <laughs> All right, great. And uh, just just like I hinted at, like five seconds ago. Uh, the game jam is coming up in uh, January and uh, sign up is available right now. No, it's not Jan you wear. It's jam you wary. Oh, geez. My bad. It's branding, so man. Branding matters. I'm so bad at this. Let's start over. Start over. You're <laughs> yeah, listening to. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we have uh, a link in the show notes here. Uh, you can go to itch.io and just search for like coding blocks and you'll probably find it uh, coming up in January. So uh, January. Go ahead and sign up, you know. January. It's, How many uh, times, man? Ah, I'm so bad at this. Uh, and, you know, it's totally free. It's just for fun. That's a great way to make games. So, yeah, get pumped. Speaking of, I mean, this is a good time. Like, uh, if we're going to talk about gaming here. Oh, right. I, I could put That's on my. Right. Uh, turns out we got some swag in a swag box here from Rockstar. Uh, yeah. So, huge thanks to Al Garrick Jr. for this. Yeah. Truly amazing. We've got. That's super exciting. Like, I know I'm excited about it. it. The timing is insanely like, I don't know. Did he, maybe he already knew that we were going to be talking about gaming and uh, game jams and game development and all of that. Otherwise, I like the, t- the timing is just so amazing. Did you say what it was? Well, yeah. So I got a hat. I got stickers. We got shirts. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I say I got, but I mean, I might share. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to fight you for that hat. Are you? You're going to lose. <laughs> I need it. Listen, when you get your wanted level up to my wanted level. Yeah. That's right. And then you can bring it back down. Then come talk to me about the hat. Yeah. At some point, you're just trying to see how high you can get those stars, right? That's really all okay, it is. So I'm not the only one who loved to play GTA like that, right? Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. It was like all about like get the tanks to come out after you. And then once you get the tanks to come after you, can you like bring your wanted level back down far enough to where right. you're like, got away with it. Where could I hide? Yeah. yeah. It but was always like the parking garages Dead. or something, right? Yep. And I'm still waiting for a bully sequel too. So Al, if you're out there, yo, bully two. <laughs> awesome. 
<laughs> All right. So, uh, hey, let's talk about the uh, game engines. So I had a, a kind of funny thought here, right? So uh, we, we've talked about some of these things before, so we got a little pop quiz for you. Uh, when we talk about software development, what's a library? Who's taking this one? Well, this is where I like to put all of my manager classes yeah. and all of my helper classes. And I like to be sure to name them as something helper or something manager to make it clear as to what they do. If I could reach his mute switch right now. (laughs) (laughs) How about this? I would say, I would say, okay, wait, before you give me the Webster definition, I would say, honestly, like my real answer would be like a library would be like a, a collection of, uh, code that solves a common, a, a common need. So like if you had, I don't know. Uh, logging is a as our canonical reference. So if you had a logging library, like you know, or you know, the code inside of that library would be specific to that problem or that domain. Yeah. Okay, so like a focus collection of of code. Uh, what's the difference between a library and a framework? A framework uh, is very opinionated about how you put your code to use, right? Like um, how you do your classes, how you organize your things, um, the way that you tie them together. To me, that's the framework. Eddie Outlaw had a cool way of describing it a couple of years ago. I don't remember exactly, but you said something. It was basically like you include the library in your code and the framework like kind of includes you. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's kind of a way of putting it. Uh, yeah. And you end up writing your code to fit within the framework. Yep. Right? Yeah, I was going to say that like the the – the framework uses libraries. Yeah. It would be yeah. One. like, you know, if you were to think about these in terms of like uh building blocks, right. You know, the library, a library would be like a smaller building block than say a framework. A framework might be a collection of libraries. You know, there might be a library for logging inside of there. There might be a logging for creating uh grids and, you know, all the interactions for that and, you know, things like that. Okay. So I, I got uh, two more for you. What's a toolkit? I say toolkit. I should say all these have like formal definitions that everyone ignores. And so all this stuff, like there's so many exceptions and blurry lines here that it really is just like kind of what's your general sense of it, you know? So the toolkit is sort of like a collection of libraries to me, right? Like the toolkit, mm-hmm. if, um, like if you're doing angular development or, or reacts, probably a better one because reacts only for view, right? You'll typically have a toolkit, something like underscore or, or some other set of things that allow you to do common features, right? It, to me, that's your toolkit. Uh, unless I'm thinking about this wrong, you, is this more like IDE type stuff or what? You know, I mean, that's how I was imagining it, just like a kind of a, a smattering of different, uh, almost like abilities or components that you can kind of use and mix and match uh, as needed. But it's different from a framework because you're not really, uh, you know, you're you're not working within this toolkit. You're using the toolkit for the pieces that you want out of that toolkit. Like, you know, maybe you want the hammer and the screwdriver and the, you know, the whatever, but you're kind of picking the pieces out that you want to use. So I, I think the way that I'm thinking about these, like a library, uh, a very specific example was we talked about the async library years ago in JavaScript. I can't remember Bluebird or something like that. Like that's very tightly focused on what it does, right? Like it's async calls. The toolkit is something more like underscore where it might handle async calls, but it also does like string formatting and all kinds of other things, right? Like it's something that you'll use a lot of when you're doing your development and you chose that particular toolkit over something else. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So here's the last one. 
what's an engine? Uh, I mean, if I think about an engine, though, I, I think of something that like you're instantiating and you're giving it some parameters, you're giving it some some config, some some objects or whatever, but it's doing the hard labor for you. It's doing the hard work for you. Like, so. Yeah, I like that. Like the, it's, it's, it's its own thing and you are configuring it and, you know, working around it. But yes, yeah, it's, it's really hard. And so I Googled this, like, what's the difference between a framework and an engine? Oh my gosh. You want to see some of the, the worst answers in the world. I'm talking like Yahoo answer quality. You Google this, you'll see a bunch of questions on Quora. basically asking exactly this. And the answers are just awful people are just making up <laughs> distinctions that just don't even make sense They're like well a framework is like uh you know like a 50 files but an engine's like 100 oh like, come on what no. what and yeah they'll give examples of you know like well this is a you know this is a framework uh ruby on rails but uh unity is an engine so there you go go oh, thanks yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, that that cleared it up right. Up. So I think the lesson though is that if you were to fo- follow Uncle Bob's uh, clean code, clean architecture, and you were to have like you know small purpose built uh, classes, you know adhere to solid principles, then you're going to have a lot of files, and so therefore you're going to have an engine. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think that's fair. If you're solid, you're you have an engine. I think so. Yeah. It's it kind of funny thing. Uh, it got me thinking. It's like why? Like how did we end up with game engine? You know, like why? Why did that end up being the thing? Is it just because it's like games? Is there something special about it? That, like kind of adheres to engine well? Something that sticks there. The only other kind of engine I could even think of was like a storage engine for a database, mm-hmm. which that kind of makes a little bit more sense because to me, you know, you got a database and you can swap out the engine. Maybe I want this engine or that engine or something, and so that makes a little bit of sense to me because you're still kind of keeping the, the you know the vehicle. So you know you know what it is in my mind and and I haven't looked it up right like this might be a core answer right here but it it an engine has a lot of moving parts and that engine is kind of what coordinates it all right it's what makes the stuff all work together you have pistons you have things firing off you have timing you have all this stuff right and that translates to gaming for me because the gaming engine is having to control so many things, right? You have the logic within the game that's happening. You have things that are moving and how they interact with each other. And that to me is what the engine is, right? Like when, when we mentioned the framework, that's how you're going to write your code to work within the parameters that they've set up. The engine is just managing all the stuff that needs to be done, right? A scoreboard, how, how, um, collisions happen, whatever, right? Like all these special things. So that in my mind is why the engine analogy works is because it's handling a lot of moving parts. But I, I, I was thinking of SQL as an example of another engine outside of gaming though, because it does everything that you just described. Right. You know, you think about like the way the query optimizer works for you to retrieve data. You think about uh, the persistence layer underneath and everything that it has to do to maintain uh, the the file system or the files on the file system and then compression and the write ahead log versus, you know, whatever. So, uh, I mean, I think it fits that that case. And so, like, if you if you go with this understanding of like going back to, you know, expanding on what I said and kind of tying these two examples together. In an engine, you're you're just giving some uh, you know definition about what you want to do. So, in other words, you might say like, "Hey, I want a table that has these five columns. These are the types of those columns, and you know 
Uh, if you insert one, I want this value automatically incremented, things like that, right? Some characteristics about it, but it's all kind of, you know, it's really kind of metadata about just describing what it is, right? And the same for a game engine, right? You might say like, hey, I'm going to create this object and you're going to treat it like, uh, like it's a vehicle that can, that has these kind of properties. It can move at this kind of rate. It can corner like this. It's this kind of weight. So maybe it leans when it turns, you know, heavy cause it's top heavy, uh, like, you know, like a double decker bus or something, you know? Um, but the, the game engine itself, just like the, the, just like the, the database engine would be responsible for how to maintain that table that you described. The game engine would be responsible for when that vehicle is moving through the, the game of how to translate that configuration that, that you just, how you described that vehicle to, you know, to draw it on the screen and, you know, add reflections or whatever, and then the physics of how it would work. I, I guess it, to me, it kind of boils down to just saying like, it's a really advanced piece of software that you build around. But well, I, I don't know, it's just kind of soft. Right. Build in. It's like you put the pieces in there and it knows how to use them is, is sort of what it feels like. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I never did find a good answer. So, just bringing that up because it was kind of funny, like it's funny to even talk about it this way. But I, I, just, I just submitted mine. I just submitted it, mine to Yahoo Answers. So if you refresh your page, you probably have a really good one. All right, all right. Oh, it's all it's all the way at the bottom underneath somebody selling diet pills. Uh, wow! <laughs> Dang it! Dang it! Indeed. All right. Well, uh, so you know, game engine. Um, we'll get into kind of definitions here, but basically, what we're talking about is like these these kind of large packages really smart packages to help you build games and uh, the reason that people use them is because they help you reduce costs and reduce complexities and uh, get rid of common functionality that you don't so you don't have to keep reinventing the wheel other people have reinvented reinvented um makes it faster to build things and it's also makes things consistent so you can hire people to work in whatever engine you're using and you know they've already got a leg up on how you kind of do things uh, one thing that was kind of interesting to me is that when I was researching this, uh, I found out that a lot of AAA games use their own engine. So Last of Us uses the Last of Us engine. Uh, engine. Halo uses the Halo engine. Uh, sometimes they have cute names for it. Uh, I forget what um, I forget what I was looking at. Had the oh Rockstar has, uses the Rage engine. It's like the Rockstar something engine that they use for um, you know most like the Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption type games. Um, so it was kind of interesting to me that like these the really big players uh, you know, end up doing their own thing. And so I, I did a little bit of research on that. And it basically came down to optimization. It's like if you're going to spend five years and, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on something, you really want to make it do what you want to. And you want to pick out the pieces that you like from other engines, but you want to, you know, maybe streamline other parts or uh, build it more around the processes that you have in place for your like your workflow and your employees and stuff. So it might make sense. So it just, it seems still kind of crazy to me that you'd spend so much time building an engine for a game. Hey, when you, that's a lot of the work. When you were looking at that stuff, did, did these bespoke engines that they have, were they all, did they derive off some other base engine? You know how, like, like for instance, Elasticsearch, it's based off solar. 
it, is it something similar with these guys? Like, they, like Unreal Engine right. under, the, under the covers? Right. Did they start with one of those and then just tailor it to their needs? Because that seems to make a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense to me. And a lot of times I would see references to someone that says that basically they would use a modified version of like Unreal, to Unreal Engine. And so they would even have like custom IDEs that they would publish for their developers to use that have kind of like um, have changed parts of it. Uh, but for the, for the most part, when I found out about custom game engines, they were not that they, but they also weren't from scratch. So they took more of the toolkit kind of approach where they used, um, libgdx for rendering and they used DirectX 11 for this and they used this shader model. And so you ever like fire up a game and you see like 20 logos before you can play. A lot of times it's because they kind of bundled the things that they wanted to and they licensed various pieces of technologies to kind of put things together. I'm just That's banging kind of on the escape and spacebar space during that. Like, get away, go away, <laughs> yeah. go away, fast. Oh, yeah. Load it faster. Stop showing me Yeah, uh, Modify the any file. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. So thinking about the AAAs too, I would also think that part of the – so you said optimization, which makes sense, right? Like they, they want to squeeze every bit of performance they can. I wouldn't be surprised though – if another reason is because AAA companies are typically typically going to have more access to the NVIDIAs and the AMDs of the world. So when they're putting out something like their DLSS or, or whatever else, right? Like their rendering engines and, and doing special things with lighting and all that, they're going to get those toolkits quicker and they're probably going to be building things that haven't been built into the engines yet, right? Because they want to take advantage of it and get some of that special sauce out there. Yeah, but I mean, you're, you're talking about the game's the, the, the companies that are already like the big name companies. What about the ones that aren't where it's like, you know, like have you ever played Splitgate, for example? I haven't heard of it. it. Oh, I mean, it's, it's an, it's an awesome, amazing, fun game. It's basically in a nutshell, Halo meets Portal. Oh, okay. So you can like shoot these, uh, you know, your portals around and, you know, shoot through the, shoot through the portals. It's so much fun. But, you know, that's not, uh, to the best of my knowledge, not made by like a big name company. So, you know, your access to the, uh, to the, you know, NVIDIA libraries or AMD, AMD libraries sooner rather than later might not always be applicable, you know, especially for like an indie game developer kind of scene. Right. No, I think that's why when he called out AAA specifically, I think that's why they do do their own bespoke stuff because they can iterate towards newer hardware and newer features and and those kind of things faster because they're controlling their own destiny. Instead of relying on an engine to have everything they need, they just build what they need because they're going to make their money back on that R&D. I mean, I guess the interesting thing for me, though, like I would have never... Um, as it relates to like any kind of racing type of game, then if you told me that they make their own, I'd be like, Oh, I guess that makes sense. Right. Cause like, you know, you play Forza versus Gran Turismo. Right. And, uh, you know, like driving games, there's a, that's a lot of hard physics to have to deal with at motion. Like some of them are just amazing too. Like over the years, you know, I remember like when, uh, one of the Forza versions where like, they actually included where the rotors would heat up orange as, as you were under heavy braking and you're like, Oh, that's pretty cool. And it was super cool when you noticed, like if, if you had a screen set up or your monitor view set up to where you could see your opponent next to you and you happen to notice it on their car, not just in a replay, but it was happening live in their car, you know, like, you know, there's cool little things like that, that I'm like, yeah, I could totally see that. I would have never, I would have just assumed that everybody was based off of a common engine for like first person shooter types games, because I I guess I never 
really noticed that much different in the way of physics there. Does that sound because because car race, the car racing games, they definitely like push things to the limit. Like sometimes the way like if there's any kind of jumping in it, like sometimes the way the car lands is, you know, some games are like really kind of springy and bouncy and you're like, oh, this is kind of fun, but totally unrealistic versus some games you can't even flip the car over if you wanted to, no matter how hard you try. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'd imagine Jay Z. You were mentioned terrain building stuff earlier. I like just thinking about the different types of games out there. A first person shooter, a lot of times, is more closed world, and so mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about rendering terrain that's you know five miles out and all that kind of stuff. I know that right. racing games in the past that was one of the biggest problems that they had was like having buildings just pop into view, right? Because because of the rendering requirements and all that. So I, it doesn't surprise me that AAA companies build like rockstar, the very open worlds. Right. And, and it makes sense that they're going to tailor things to try and, and make their experience the best that it can be for the types of games they create. Now you, you mentioned uh, like rendered part of this, the terrain and the scene <clears throat> that's not necessarily like part of the playable part, but I've actually been impressed with sometimes like uh, if you play overwatch, for example, and you go through uh, not the the highlight, but instead, if you go into it, you can actually like replay the game. And it would be more like the view that you might see like in a competitive kind of view where you could see like every player and how well they're doing at one time. And you can immediately switch to uh, a given player. But you can also go into this like free camera mode as you're playing. So you can like pan the camera wherever you want and you can actually see parts of the map that it's like, wait a minute, you can't even your character can't even get to that. And yet they rendered it. And then there's other parts obviously that, you know, don't do anything. You know, they're, they're just, you know, uh, cliffs off of, you know, off into no, to, to nothing. But yeah, so it is interesting where like they actually, make the time to render scenes or portions of the terrain. Then it's like, well, you know, for the point zero zero one percent of the population that might go into that replay mode and happen to pan the camera out and happen to pan the camera to that particular, that particular part of the, of the map, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. And you can imagine like a, the needs of like a, a big massively multiplayer online game, uh, and the way they kind of stream assets or they, they really hate loading scenes, right? It's like something that like, it's like the bane of all online games. They don't want loading scenes, but something like a racing game, you like, you don't mind a few seconds between, uh, you know, if you yeah, have switched to a different racetrack, right? <laughs> I do. Oh yeah. I do. I do. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> fair enough. But, uh, you know, it may load like, uh, the, the, the track you're playing on from minute one to minute three, maybe, you know, uh, totally different. Like here you're in a forest, now you're in a desert and, you know, an online game, you maybe have more gradual experiences. You kind of like, you know, traverse the world differently. And so they just have different needs. And so that makes sense to me. And also the triple A games, uh, th- for the most part, they don't really plan on just making one. Like if you're making uh, a last of us engine, you're probably counting on, you know, making another one or um, the, the latest um, Nathan Drake game uh, uncharted use the last of Us engine. So, you know, they, they, these big companies kind of plan on reusing that and kind of taking that, that IP and taking it somewhere else. And also probably competitive advantage. Like if every game studio used the same engines, they'd probably look and feel kind of similar. And all these big players want to be different. I don't know though. I mean, do they really, it's like, uh, I mean, I hear what you're saying in spirit. They definitely want to like create that engine and use it multiple times. Right. 
And you know, if you if your name sounds like Smack Division, and you make a game that sounds like a small of cutie, then yeah, you know, you probably abuse it, right? Like you've you're like publishing out one like every year, and before like you know your user base is constantly moving from one game to the next, right? Um, but then on the other side, uh, you know, if, if you work for a snowy company and you only make like, uh, you know, a handful of games and you just keep them going out forever and ever and ever like, ah, forget it. My joke's falling apart, but <laughs> you know, obviously I was talking about Activision and call of duty. And then, uh, the snowy company was blizzard and, you know, they have like overwatch that has been out for the last, last five years. And it's, you know, they keep talking about overwatch too, but it keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And then, uh, what was the more, uh, the canonical reference in that was like what, uh, doom, uh, doom, uh, that, that like, what was it? 16 years or something insane before they came out with that sequel. Was it that uh, long? W- was it doom? Oh uh, no. Um, oh, star. Uh, yeah, it was like doom eternal or something like that. Or no, not eternal. Uh, Oh shoot. Yeah. I know what you're saying though, but yeah. So the point is, is like, you know, yeah, I definitely understand. Like you want the economies of scale, right? You put that first version out of the engine and then you would expect it. Like they're going to tweak it and make, you know, keep making improvements or whatever, but not all companies are like that. Like some, some companies just seem to, you know, put that version out and it stays out there forever and ever and ever. CSGO is still, you know, uh, widely played. Right. And Mm -hmm. how old is that game? You know, I'm glad that I didn't um, ask my next next question because I see it in the notes, like where, where you're about to go with this stuff. Oh, oh. Well, you're talking about uh, like what do you actually get from game engines? Yeah, exactly. Like, yep. like what's the most important thing? I mean, we've talked about graphical loading and stuff, but I mean, there's there's way more to it. So, yeah, I just did a quick poll. Uh, I looked at a couple articles and kind of found uh, some of the um, the main characteristics, and I, I put some sub bullets in just to kind of. Give some examples so it just didn't, it wasn't so amorphous, but uh, you know, obviously, um, rendering is probably the number one, like two D, three D rendering. Uh, like, in fact, people often refer to those as being engines just on their own. You know, so a lot of times these uh, these en- game engines will bundle a certain rendering engine, and sometimes you can even change it out. Like uh, you mentioned, Doom Eternal or Doom uh, Doom Doom Eternal. Uh, both of those let you swap between any number of rendering engines. So you could say, I want Vulkan, or I want DirectX 10, or I want DirectX 11, or I want uh, OpenGL. Uh, so it's just kind of interesting that, to me that you could swap those out so so uh, easily. And Talk I about say, needing abstractions. Yeah, no I mean, kidding. the importance of abstract, abstractions and interfaces, the fact that you can swap that out tells you that under the covers, they they are not reliant on any one of those things. And that's because they've abstracted their use of it. Yeah. And rendering is so tied to the hardware and it's so important that you not be tied to the hardware in order to support as many platforms as possible. Right. That's kind of funny. Uh, so yeah, you know, you can basic shapes, you can do things like drawing spheres, lines, polygons, triangles, things like that. Uh, but also when it comes to rendering, there's things like particles, which are just kind of like some almost like randomly generated kind of effects or shaders, which are really cool. Um, kind of way of um, um, a lot of like water effects, environmental effects and stuff uh, or kind of cartoony kind of effects will change the look and feel of something. But it's done at, uh, you know, basically at the the rendering, like at the, you know, the memory level where you basically look at the pixel next to you and, you know, kind of do some quick math on it. So they're really efficient uh, masking, culling, which has to do with like 
hiding pieces uh, from, you know, basically if something's out of view, you don't need to see it until you can see, until you can go view it. So it's really about um, making things efficient. So there's a lot of work there done to, to reduce the amount of work you need to do. Cause obviously if you're dealing with like b- billions of triangles, you know, it's very important to only <laughs> do the, the work that you need to do. Well, you just said there's a lot of work done to uh, reduce the amount of work you do. Exactly. <laughs> there, there really is. Very impressive. I, I mean, do you guys remember the, I believe it was the Dreamcast, the Sega Dreamcast. And one of the ways back then that they made their polygon performance so good <clears throat> is they didn't fully render all the way through. They would only try and render surface level objects, right? And and that way you reduce the number of polygons that you're actually having to, to compute. And and just that one change that they did for their own, you know, I don't know if you call it an engine for an entire OS platform or whatever back then, but, but yeah, I mean, just little things like that. Right. So you're talking about hiding, right? Like if somebody walks behind a tree, that tree's going to block the, the object behind it. But then they even went another layer and said, Hey, I don't care about any of the structure inside these, these surface structures. Right. And that's hard stuff. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. a lot of work going into that to, to make your games run fast and smooth on what was older hardware. I think the best example of that would probably be Pac-Man <laughs> hiding those dots. <laughs> they did a really good job of it. They did. And it only yeah. showed like the top of it too. So, yeah, you know, yeah. made it really easy. Uh, progressive enhancements. Another one you're um, playing a modern video game and you like, you see a rock, you know, like pop in and as you get closer to it, it gets better and better looking, you know? Uh, so yeah, ideally that's going to be hidden, but just the idea of progressive enhancement is also really great for, uh, you know, different hardware. So if your hardware can't keep up, you know, just show the, the crappy looking rock. And if you, if you can load it fast enough, just get the nice one. Uh, and you know, we mentioned card games. If you're traveling really fast, and that's obviously something you're going to care about. Another interesting thing about kind of card games is because your objects are traveling so fast that if your uh, objects are too thin, that sometimes uh, you can get in a bad situation where the car, you know, is moving so quickly and it like hits a, you know, a tree or a rock or something that the, the physics calculations haven't happened until maybe like it's too far gone to really, you know, make a, an update that makes sense. So imagine like you hit a tree with your car when you're going really fast but the engine doesn't realize it until the tree's like halfway through the hood, you know, that there, there's been a collision because it's, you know, running behind. So what's it going to do then? You know? And so it's just kind of funny how, you know, these situations you, you get into and uh, different considerations you have to take into account when you're making different kinds of games and have different kinds of, you know, physics and stuff going on. I thought you were talking about like the difference of in, in racing games where like the physics of a car with a long wheelbase versus a short wheelbase would make a difference. But you're talking about like the, the engine itself isn't keeping up. Right. And so that's where you get these like really funny looking, um, uh, screenshots of scenes that, right. Uh, we're, we're more reminiscent of like cyberpunk, but, uh, yep. <laughs> you yeah, know, that old there. game, <laughs> you, yeah. you know what your progressive enhancement reminded me of too. So that that's actually really cool. The whole thing about when it gets closer, it's adding more and more detail. Uh, with the newer VR stuff that they've been doing, they've been working a lot with trying to do eye tracking to try and make it to where it doesn't have to draw the entire screen at perfect resolution. Like when you're gaming right on a monitor, 
your entire screen's beautiful. Um, you know, it's rendering Thank everything. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but what they're trying to do, because VR is way more heavy, right? You're driving two screens at that, each with their own resolution. That's about the equivalent of what your full flat screen is. So what they're trying to do is make it to where they can see where your eyes are going so that they only render that part of the screen super fine detail and the rest of it's just like in your regular life, everything on the periphery is just sort of blurred out. Like it's not as important. And so they're, they're trying to do things like that as well. So taking that progressive enhancement to another level. Mm. Yeah, that's really cool. Have you seen where games will kind of blur things that are further away, mm. but they, the game it's awkward. If you're, you know, if your eyeballs are looking at something in the distance, but it's blurry, but it's like, no, I, that's what I want to focus on. Right. So yeah, the eyeballs are, that's the way to go. That's cool. It, it, it's neat. And they can do it with VR because they have things like sensing your eyes and, and looking at your pupils and all that. I, I, I've never, I don't mind the progressive enhancement if they do it in such a way that you don't notice it. Right. But it always bothered me when you would notice it. So like, mm-hmm. I remember like going way back, like descent and battle tech. I mean, they were bad about that type of thing. Like battle tech was especially like, you know, you might not even see that mech way off in the distance that just shot you. And then, you know, you take a step further and then you're like, well, I think I see something there. And then like, as you get a little bit closer, like you see a skeleton and you're like, well, what is that? You know? And it was like, yeah, it was just, you know, those games, games from the nineties were like way too, uh, like progressive enhancement was just way too obvious. Right. Yeah. It's pretty nice now on modern game engines. You really don't have to worry about that. You know, uh, you know like you just kind of say like, Hey, I've got two objects in the engines responsible for figuring out if that's far enough away or based on your graphical settings or whatever else, you know, it, it just kind of takes care of it, uh, which is awesome. Uh, so I got a, a list of here. Uh, I've heard physics engine, another engine for you. Uh, physics engine a million times is like, this is what, uh, you know, game engines provide one of the things that's kind of common. And so I went through and listed a couple of things that you get from physics, physics engine. Just because it sounds kind of, um, you know, vague. It's uh, yeah, it's vague. You know, it's like, like physics, what do I get from physics engine? So things like mass, like if two objects collide and how, you know, hard they bounce apart. Um, that's a big one. Gravity important for jumping, falling, all sorts of stuff. Uh, without gravity, things would just kind of be floating around, you know, your three dimensional spaces, two dimensional spaces. Um, torque is a good one. So the ability to kind of spin things, turn things, uh, how motors turn, uh, all sorts of stuff is really wrapped up in like torque and of course force for like, um, shooting bullets, driving cars, jumping, uh, all that stuff, uh, you know, mass times acceleration, right? Or, well, also think about, uh, the recoil from your, your gun yep. as you're shooting, right? Yep. It's funny how many things like that are uh, like actually like done really similar to like how they work in the real world. Like uh, I was messing around with a, a car, uh, a car kind of tutorial, and it has you create an axle and a couple of wheel colliders, and then uh, you know you turn the wheels and that determines the direction and stuff. So there's not a lot of faking. Like I originally kind of thought that like you would just kind of have the car and then you have a drive in and then you like kind of fake the wheels turning, but no, the wheels really kind of turn it in the. Uh, the wheels have configurable friction and all sorts of stuff like that, that, um, you know, that kind of uh, factor into things. And so you can have different kinds of friction for the tire that you have, but also for the ground that you're on. And you combine those two things together and that's what it feels like to drive a car. I've heard that the wheels on the bus go round and round, but I can't confirm. <laughs> round, round. Yep. <laughs> 
Uh, so springiness like all, is like all the all the parents just got a chuckle out of that, and everyone who doesn't have a kid is just like, oh god, there he goes again. <laughs> the kids still sing that nowadays. <laughs> oh my gosh, they got to somewhere. Baby shark, baby shark. Oh yeah, it's all about baby oh, no. shark. <laughs> uh, there you go. Okay. A couple others will just blow through here. So springiness is kind of funny with like different materials. You can kind of make them uh, bouncier or not. Um, liquid, if you've ever seen. Uh, I'm not talking about so much as like water, like in video games, but like uh, sometimes you'll see like water pouring or something like that, or waterfalls. Um, liquid dynamics. Liquid by itself, like there's m- multiple. Uh, you know, I guess that would be fluid dynamics, right? There's multiple yep. things to consider there because there's the reflections that it might create from it, but then uh, like what's the the the, the properties of water and one of them is like how it it like uh, holds together. You know, mm-hmm. I can't uh, I can't remember the. Yeah, I think the viscosity, term for it. like thickness. <clears throat> um, I don't think that's the one I'm thinking of, though. I don't think that's what it's called. Surface tension is the one I'm thinking of. Okay, yeah. Like how well your spaghetti sauce adheres to the noodle. Yeah, like 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 how like how uh you know if you were to shoot a water gun there might be like you know pools of water that like kind of uh puddled together you know yeah it might have landed separate but then ended up puddling together. Uh, here's a fun one: uh, wind. So I I I know I I just <laughs> thought that wind was kind of like a force that you just kind of apply, but uh, Unity actually has like a, a you can like right click and add wind to your environment. So if you want to have like a fan blowing or if you just want to have like the wind blowing or changing directions as you kind of drive around, it's pretty cool. And I think that you kind of uh, have that and have it apply to like any object that comes into, you know, path with that. That's so awesome. I never even thought about it, but I mean, if you consider a golf game, I mean, even if you don't like to play golf in real life, golf video games are so much fun. I don't know Mm why. Man, if you had, look, outlaws give me the crazy eye. I'm telling you, if you've never played a golf video game, they are a blast. But you do have to consider wind because it actually changes at elevation as well, right? Like, yep. like there's all kinds of things. And and wind, if if you're hitting playing golf, right? Like when you hit it off the ground, there may not be any wind because the trees are blocking it. But then you go up above the trees. Now wind catches it. Like there's all kinds of stuff that happens there. That's that's pretty cool. Okay, we yep. need to take him out. He, he's been cooped up inside. I have been. Too long. I have been right. cooped up too long. He, he's he's settled on golf games. Right. Golf games are good. I'm telling. Hey, you. Hey, yeah, I don't have a problem with golf games. See, see, I can't. Yeah. I can't even. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, here's another fun one. So sound game engines uh, give you sound, which sounds you know pretty obvious, right? And uh, it makes sense that you know the, you. You can mix sounds too, so you might have music and also some sound effects that play, things like that. Um, one thing I thought it was really interesting about uh, some of the tutorials is one of the first things they have you do is add some randomness to sounds to speed them up or slow them down a little bit, so it's not so obvious that the sound is repeated. So if you're making a jumping sound, you might want to increase oh. the pitch a little bit or decrease the pitch a little bit just so it doesn't sound so repetitive because it sounds really unnatural. So that was just kind of funny to think that like that's a common trick. What about Doppler effect? So yeah, Doppler effect comes into play. Also, the distance you are from things. So in a two D game, you know, probably if it's on screen and making noise, it's fine. In three D game, like as you get closer to things, you expect them to get louder, right? So that kind of stuff is taken care of by the engine. What you do is, uh, in, at least in Unity, is you add an audio source to the orc you're fighting in the distance, right? And so if he yells something and he's like a hundred feet away from you firing an arrow. Maybe you don't hear it so well, but as you get closer, 
you do hear it. And so when that arrow goes whistling by your you know head, you hear the arrow only when it gets close enough and it gets really loud as it passes you. And all that stuff is taken in uh, to account because, you know, the sound system has audio sources and it takes into uh, account the geospatial distance. And you get all this stuff for free. Like you just do a tutorial. And it's like drag the audio source, drag the audio file, <laughs> you know, make it play. Yeah. I was also thinking of examples where like, have you ever played a game where uh, <clears throat> maybe there's different size characters in the game? And so like, as you jump or fall from one height to another, like if you're one of the smaller characters and you jump off of, you know, a a building onto some platform below, you know, it makes a a small little, you know, but then if you're like a larger, you know, tanky type uh, character, there's like this giant thud, you know, when, when they land, you know, I always appreciate the, the attention to detail when they, when they do that. It's funny, you may not notice necessarily that that's what makes the game feel bad when you're playing it. You know, if you've ever you play the crappy games, or it's sometimes it's hard to go back and play older games, but a lot of times it's the little details like that that they just don't do, and it just doesn't feel as good. It's hard to put your, 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 uh, you know, finger on it, but yeah, stuff like that matters. Uh, scripting, so, um, you know, obviously the ability to kind of add your own custom code, you can't drag and drop everything. Um, so how easy it is to, to be able to manipulate that stuff and whether it's a language like C sharp or something like more dynamic, like a Lua is common sometimes, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, that's kind of a big one. Um, uh, you can do all that stuff yourself, but wouldn't it be nice if your game engine had some, you know, some kind of built in functionality that made it easier to do that, made it to e- easier to interact with, uh, multiple systems and kind of have like a almost like a director or like one AI controlling the whole battlefield instead of uh, maybe individuals or maybe one the other way, you know, maybe, um, you know, you want uh, your individuals to act independently, but be able to observe and make decisions based on what other actors are doing. And so there's a lot of decisions there. A lot of it comes down to like these big kind of trees. A lot of times there's visual tools in uh, these game engines where you can kind of drag and drop like decision tree type things. It's like if the enemy, if the, player is within 50 feet of me do this unless i'm you know wounded and then do that and so you know it ends up being calling it artificial intelligence is kind of uh i don't know a misnomer a little bit there just a bunch of if statements but yeah, i was gonna say so you're not actually gonna create your own madden in january then no i, I won't be <laughs> there's some people some people that might right i know I, some people well i mean I, the <clears throat> To, for me, the one of the canonical references that came to mind for that would be again like the racing games, because mm-hmm. you know they they do a, like what separates a good racing game from a bad racing game is that like you know how competitive is the AI that you're that you're racing against if you're you know not playing online right, and I swear like back in the day Forza used to get harder if it recognized that you had a wheel attached to it. Yeah. You know, at least it certainly seemed that way. It seemed like the AI definitely stepped up, uh, you know, a couple, uh, notches when, when you, when, as soon as you connected that wheel and started racing against them, they got way more competitive and it was a lot of fun. You know, uh, that's, that's funny you mentioned that. So I've been kind of messing around with, uh, car stuff a little bit um do you, know you can just buy car ais in the like the unity asset store the unreal asset store oh that's awesome what does that mean yeah. like to like 
What does that mean? Like Audi has like, hey, here's the AI for our, this is how we want our cars to be. No, more like um, you can buy an intelligent race driver system from uh, Jose Garrido for, oh, it's on sale right now for $42. No one, it's $85. Uh, there's a bunch of these, though. Uh, Ultimate 2D car kit includes AI. Oh, okay. That one's $40. Uh, so, yeah, it's these these uh, toolkits, basically custom code, maybe a couple assets that people put together, bundled up, and sold on the store. Uh, Arcade Racer, uh, Racing AI. Uh, this one's $250. Um yeah, so it's just these uh, these toolkits I put together. And this one, actually, looking at it, is really nice. Uh, it supports the ability to not just drive the car and kind of compete with the player, but also um, it has the ability to control the driver in the car. So if like you were to put a camera in the car with the uh, the AI, you would see it like turning the wheel and stuff. And so it's got support for that stuff. So you just need to kind of hook up your models and, and whatnot and go. And, of course, integration is not – you know, this isn't like drag, drop, and you're done type stuff. But if you're really going to be spending – months years something like that in the game and you don't want to spend you know a lot of that time developing something that's been done a million times it's a great way to uh to just buy that yeah and i mean paying 250 dollars for something that's been flushed out pretty well or fleshed out pretty well yeah i mean yep. you got to imagine there's probably tens of thousands of dollars worth of of development that happened to even get it to the point where they can sell it for 250 bucks right so yep it's, I mean, not saying that $250 is nothing, but considering how much time you'd have to put in to even get to that level yourself, you save yourself years of development, right? Yep. I want to build another racing rig because <laughs> I, I had one and I miss it and it was so much fun. Dude, I got to show you something, man. I'm going to have to find it and I will before the show's over and we'll put a link to this thing. There is... Forget your racing rig. So I know what he's talking about. You used to have a chair hooked up with the pedals and the, and the steering wheel and all that stuff. There is, and it's made specifically for virtual reality nowadays, and it's called Six Degrees of Freedom. Mm. And they've got it set up to where you can hook this up to real racing sims. And when you're driving, you're sliding around the thing, right? Like, And you feel like you're actually doing it all. Man, I think the thing's like six grand. I'm a better driver than that, though. I wouldn't be sliding around. <laughs> I might be drifting. I'm telling you right now, I have actually thought about, will my wife kill me if I buy this thing? If I, if I somehow find the means to spend six grand on this toy, will she kill me? Will she kill me, or do I just have to say I'm sorry, and eventually she'll forget about it and uh, yeah, maybe. get over it? Maybe. Yep. <laughs> well, we're about to get to the big one, though, for what the game engines provide. Oh, uh, networking? Yes. Yeah, that was I, huge. I always think about how the heck these online game games do it. Coffee. Right? It seems so impossible to me. I don't think so. I don't think they can run through anything. I, I mean, maybe. I don't know. Kafka. I think Kafka is a lot of it nowadays. But see, Kafka to me makes sense because, you know, there's queuing. But I almost feel like if you drop enough packets, like, or I, I, I should say, I want to be able to drop packets and just rely on some sort of sync job to kind of get me back in shape. Like I don't want to have to plow through a bunch of messages in case I get lost, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I don't actually know. don't know, but yeah, I have often thought about that though too. And like, you think about when a, a new game title, like a triple a title is, is uh, about to launch. Right. And they're bringing everything up online and you know, any resources that they're tearing down for an older game to make room for the new game or whatever, you know, cause like, 
especially like Call of Duty, I used to, I think back to that because, you know, there was always the, the status page. Right. So you could like watch and see like, Hey, if, if I'm having problems, like, is it my platform? Cause they would have, they'd be able to show you like, Hey, the, the PlayStation platform is fine. Uh, the PC platform is fine. The Xbox platform, not so good right now, you know, or whatever the situation might be. Right. Yep. So like whatever they were doing there, the point is, is that it would be specific and dedicated to that, that kind of environment. So I don't know. I don't know if it was like, you know, if it was something like a Kafka like, and they just had like, Oh, Hey, here, here's the cluster for that. And it's just, you know, really not much difference. Just that's the one that's configured for that thing. Or if it was like really, you know, dedicated hardware and whatnot, that was, you know, specific to that. Yeah. I've always wondered. I have no clue. Yeah. I would love Uh, to have it take a tour of inside the, the, uh, the data centers for a game center. But nowadays it's probably like, well, you got to go to Google or Amazon for that. Right. We don't, you know, there's the, there's Azure is across the street. Go over right. there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple other ones quickly, uh, streaming. So uh, here on time about streaming, I'm talking about the ability to stream games. You see like services like Google Stadia or whatever. Um, a lot of them have it now where you're able to actually play a game that's kind of somehow on another computer and you're just kind of playing almost like a video. That makes well, sense. Well, okay, so there's that version of, of – there's that definition of streaming, but there's also the definition of streaming of the game where, like uh, – I know B- Blizzard and Steam games both do this a lot where you can say, like, install the game, and it'll have, like, a, a mark. And it's like, okay, when we get to this hash, the game is playable, and I'll just continue downloading the rest of it, you know, in the background. And even um, Xbox does this where, like, you know, you can keep playing the game, and it will, uh, you know – it know it somehow knows that you won't get to that part <laughs> before you need before uh we're you know it's needed right they're probably assuming this is an hour's worth of play <laughs> and, and if and if you get there or two hours or whatever if you get there then you know shame on us i what will was say it like the the rest of us or what was the game that had like the 600 hours of content that was like insane uh oh um oh it was uh, a playstation game i think uh gosh, I can't remember. You're talking. You're talking about the role playing game. It was uh oh, I can't think of it. Oblivion. Um, no, that's not. But okay, they had six hundred too. But going back to the streaming thing, the part that that is mind boggling to me is if you think about you've got twenty four players on screen playing online, shooting at each other, like a bullet's traveling across a map, right? There's all kinds of math and all th- all kinds of things that have to happen super fast with these 24 interacting players moving around, shooting, doing things like that is mind boggling to think about how all that stuff stays in sync. Well, that goes back to the networking conversation. Right, like, yeah. I'm always baffled about how does it do that? You know, especially like you think about the massively uh, online multiplayer games and like, how do the physics even work for that? You know, like. How does it know that like when you, that bullet that you mentioned that just got shot, you know, it's, it needs to go, uh, you know, a hundred virtual feet before it's going to hit something. Yeah. I you mean, know, it, that it, it's insane how it does. And that's why like, I considered the networking to be a big part of, uh, you know, how, how that part works, but maybe it's more like, uh, just the messaging protocol and, you know, not necessarily about the like the 
the back end part of it. Well, that's the thing, right? Like if this engine is controlling all of that, then maybe it's one of those things where you just say, Hey, this is what I want it to do. And it handles all that minutia for you. So you don't have to worry about it. Right. And that's, you know, I think that's what he was saying is where that it brings part of it to the table. Yeah. Now I haven't <clears throat> going back to the streaming. So I haven't played games like stadia, but I have seen an experiment around with like the, the steam version of that. But I kind of, at least with the Steam version where I wasn't impressed because it was more like you're just streaming it from your your home machine, your home desktop, you know? So it wasn't like, oh, you know, eh, you know? Yeah, but I've that's not, I know that. that's not what he's talking about, you know, that like we're talking about um, the case of uh, like the Stadia. I can't remember the other versions that are out there. Yeah, like Google that, Stadia is the one that I remember. It's, what you're talking about is actually the uh, Steam Deck, I think. No, not Steam Deck. No, What's definitely not the Steam Deck. Um, but I have that, and it actually worked really well. It's essentially the same thing as Google Stadia, except it's all happening on your local network with your own PC, right? So, well, it's sort of the same, really. Except like your local PC was on running that game. Yeah, that's what and I'm saying. And if anybody happened to walk into the room, they're like, hey, what? That's weird. Yeah, it, it's, I'd imagine that's similar to what Stadia is doing in, in their Google data centers, right? Like there's a server up there that's dedicated to playing your game and it's just streaming the output. And when you make your control movements or whatever, then it, then it sends those requests back to the server and, and it's what's doing all the heavy rendering, right? Like it, it's, pretty impressive when you think about what that technology does yeah i mean at that point though it's i I, the reason why i'm not too like excited about it though is it kind of sounds more like just a fancy rdp session that's really what it is and you know really your network latency is going to make or break your experience 100 percent 100 percent and the the other reason why i hadn't really jumped on it big unless you have a plan with no data caps I have to imagine like oh. your internet plan. I have to imagine that's pretty heavy in the amount of data that's going back and forth. Plus the video coming across and all that. And if you're doing that quite a bit, that's a lot. Well, speaking of, uh, in the Slack community, which by the way, if you're not on our Slack, you should, uh, you should definitely hit it up. www.codingblocks.net slash Slack. But, um, I forget who started the thread, but somebody started a conversation where they, they were upgrading their internet and they were saying that they noticed that now AT&T offered up to five gigabit for Ooh. their area. And I was like, when does that come to my house? I can't have it fast enough. I need it already. Hey, I will tell you though. So as somebody who just had to get new internet service and I got, I mean, the companies basically push you up to their fastest plan because it's like 20 bucks more than their lowest end plan. Right. Um, so I got the 1200 megabits, you know, what stinks about it that you don't realize when you go to get it is you have to upgrade all your hardware, <laughs> all of it because first world problems, man, because well, <laughs> well, like your cable modems or whatever that you had previously, they usually only had gigabit ethernet in it. So so you can't even take advantage of it. So you got to go buy all the latest, greatest hardware. And most of it only supports 2.5 gigabit ports. So. You know, the problem with owning a Lamborghini is that you just right. can't keep tires right. on it. And, right. you know, you got to buy the premium gasoline and then you go through it a lot. Man, speaking of which, do either of you know how much it costs to have the oil changed in a Bugatti Veyron? 
Well, geez, probably 150. 150 what? Dollars. Dude, that's what it costs to do it in an Audi or BMW. No. no, no. <laughs> I, I'm going to say, I mean, the, the tires are like 25 grand. So, oh and you're supposed to change them every year, whether yep. you've driven the miles or not. Yep. 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 Because uh, those tires are specially rated for the insanely high speed that that Veyron can get to. But no, well, seriously. Did you, wait, did you didn't, did you just say Bugatti period or were you specific? I said the, the Veyron. Okay. I, I said the Veyron. <sighs> I mean, I, I think that, you know, if you had that car, I you know, fifteen twenty thousand is probably not. It's in the ballpark of twenty thousand. Yeah. From what I've read, and, and and I can't remember. It's been a while, but I believe they have to pull the entire engine to change. The well, I remember. I remember yeah. Ferraris were like that. Uh, Ferrari, like well, this was you know more than a decade ago, so it was considerably less at like you know a, a meager six thousand dollars for the oil change. <laughs> but part of part of because of the it being a mid engine car and where it was, they had to lift the engine up out to in order to get to. The parts that they needed to get to. Crazy time. All right. So I'm sorry for the sidetrack. Jay Z is he's I love talking about cars. Right. He's back to put us back on track here. So what'd you have up next? Uh well, I would be okay. Uh so scene <laughs> management. <laughs> so scene management is uh you know the ability to flop between kind of different uh it's basically a state machine. So uh, maybe you have a scene for your start screen, a scene for your, I don't know, your options, a scene for each level. You know, it's up to you. But basically the the ability to kind of like quickly dump and load uh, a set of functionality. So like in Miss Pac-Man, it would be the difference between the blue level and the pink level. Maybe. Uh, you know, I, I think I would be lazy with Pac-Man and just do that all in one scene. But, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of a good right, example. Take it away from me. Fine. <laughs> yeah, Fine. Be that way. Crap. We can't have nice things, Jay-Z. Total crap, man. Total crap. Have you ever played a game that had, like, mini games in it where it's, like, you go and you go and oh, pick yeah. the lock and you've got to solve a little puzzle? Maybe that puzzle would be, like, a different scene. Yeah. Do you remember – did you guys ever play uh, – I'm going to assume I'm going to assume you're going to say no to this. But did you ever play the Lego Star Wars Complete Saga? No, oh. not the Complete Saga. That, that game was – a, it was ridiculous for it being a game for kids. Like it had some complexity about it, but uh, there were definitely a bunch of like mini games within the game that were like that. That like That's you cool. would find some hidden door uh, because you happen to like just randomly destroy bricks in a in a world that in like the area that was just considered like a free roam free world area. You know, it wasn't really one of the levels. And, and, you know, but if you just happen to go bashing around things, destroying bricks, and then you're like, oh, wait, that's a door? And, you know, yeah, there you are into a mini world or yeah, a nice. mini game. Yeah, very nice. And and you imagine sometimes, like, depending on, you know, how big that, uh, that other moral might be, like, maybe you want to keep the other one on the back burner. You know, maybe you don't want to totally just destroy it. You want to keep it around and swap to it quickly. Or maybe you need all that memory, so you just, like, wipe the whole thing and just do a big load. Um, cinematics is another one if you play a game like a Metal Gear or something that's got like mm-hmm. tons of movies or whatever. Um, UI, this is a fun one. So user interface. Uh, a lot of times if you think about like, um, you know, showing your score in Mario or something, that's actually really hard to get right in things like buttons, uh, selections, form tools, because so much of that uh, needs to be visible on um, on your computer in a different way. So like if I've got a widescreen monitor and the camera's zoomed further out on my character, I probably just see more of the level. It's not a big deal. 
but my form needs to still be visible regardless of my you know resolution. So I you really need your UI elements to kind of scale with the resolution in a way that ma- it's just different from the rest of the game. So if I've got a button for, you know, starting a new game or something like that needs to be sizable regardless of my resolution needs to be readable, needs to work. Um, you know, it can't be clipped off the edge of the screen if I my ma- my monitor is too narrow. The example that comes to mind for this, which is um, kind of silly, maybe, but like if you were to think about mobile games, right? If you didn't use any kind of an engine, right? And you just had, um, you know, say like a bunch of rectangles stacked on top of one another. And then as the screen rotates, you want those ro- those um, those rectangles to rotate too, right? Well, if you... With an engine, what you could do is you could have the the rectangles overlap as they rotate so that the center of the rectangle above would meet um, the it would meet the edge of the rectangle below. Right. to where like there would be half overlap of the two rectangles. Right. But if you try to do that same thing and you and you took a lazy approach and you didn't have a game engine that was like managing that kind of thing for you. Right. You could end up in this world where like, as you're drawing the rectangles, they start to separate and move apart so that they can stack nicely on top of one another. And it sounds like that'd be great, except in the case where you're at an angle because you're drawing it technically inside of a square and you just happen to be drawing the, the rectangle at an angle within that overall square. Then you end up with this like, the they separate apart and like there's this weird shrinking thing and you know i mean i'm speaking mostly for a friend because i would never admit that i would ever have done this <laughs> but uh you know it's like the weird kind of things like that 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 you can easily overlook and think like oh no like how hard could it be to draw a rectangle on the screen mm-hmm. and until you run into like oh yeah but these things rotate <laughs> yeah so yeah, UI yeah. can be extremely hard. So yeah. Yeah, it's really hard to get right. And yeah, it's it's kind of funny, especially like doing so much web work, like to me, like, you know, forms all day long, every day. You know, like it's not a big deal to do that. But on a game, it's just different because of just the different kind of concerns and different tools and you know, different things in play here. So it's just kind of funny. Um oh, one last thing I wanted to mention here. A lot of times we talk about game engines, particularly like the the more popular ones. They also include development tools, whether it's uh, their own standalone IDE, like Unreal Unity, or um, they have plugins if you use like, um, you know, VS Code or whatever uh, for other engines. So, you know, it's uh, it's not just the engine that you're using. It's also the tools. So I just thought that was a pretty cool way of thinking. It's not a distinction of engine or anything. It's just kind of neat to think that like these frameworks uh, kind of come with that sort of thing. And especially like, you know, I keep talking about Unity, but that's just what I'm used to, like, um, there's so many different tools and plugins and things you can use to like uh, work in a good way. So like if you're working on a scene and you're playing the level, fine. But you can also just click on a model and double click and it brings you up this cool model view. And so you can kind of mess with it there. If you just want to listen to sounds and, you know, find like change your sounds around a little bit, you can just go and it's got an audio player built in. So it's just got all these like really nice tools that you need. And you don't really think about having to do that uh, separately. If you were to try and build your own game engine or build your game from scratch, like, there's a lot of tooling that you're going to be missing. People do it though. 
And so then just real quickly, because uh, I know I've been I'm very focused, but I just want to kind of mention some of my favorite things that are just totally outside of that, that uh, these engines can bring in. Uh, Unity has an asset store that you can just kind of go and buy stuff and then load it via package manager. And even some of the functionality comes in very, via package manager for things that are optional. So like if you want their high resolution detailed pipeline, that might be an add-on package that you either start with the template and say, I want this from the get-go, or you can go add it later via the package manager, but they don't want to just dump that into every game because they probably have 20 different tools that most people don't need but are there. And so they don't want to necessarily burden the ID with all that functionality and all those extra buttons and controls just overhead. Um, Pro Builder is a tool that I like for uh, creating polygons. And I forgot that was my tip of the week, so I'm not going to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) So terrain is really cool. It's uh, it's a, it gives you a bunch of like brushes for creating terrain. So if you want to like make mountains and forests and rivers and things like that, it's a really cool way of doing that stuff. And it's surprisingly quick to do it. And uh, the tools that they give you, it's like, um, I'm sure you've probably seen it in like Minecraft or in a SimCity or something where you can like change the terrain or even animal crossing. You can like make it go up or make it go down or use a brush or add trees or add trees to the map, like add random trees of, you know, size between this and that. And it's got all that stuff. Uh, and it's really easy to make it look bad, but it's also <laughs> probably, you know, some people uh, who are talented and skilled and put, you know, work hard at it can make it look really good. Uh, animation is really, um, animation is a big deal for characters. Uh, they have an animation manager where you can kind of double click on a model and say like, let's see what it looks like when they're laughing. Okay. And then let's see, double click and okay, now they're walking. Let's see what the transition from walking to jumping looks like. And you can actually set little kind of tr- conditions. So if you're like, um, maybe like a walk and a jog and a run, you might say, if my speed is greater than this and transition to this next animation, or I can only go from, um, you know, the standing to a crouch animation. I can't go from running to crouching, something like that. And you can control all that stuff basically in the state machine and just kind of drag some boxes around in order to do that. And what that really does is it gives the ability to kind of contain, like, compartmentalize that stuff so if you've got an artist working on animations and they don't have to you know muck around with your code they can just kind of do that stuff in isolation and then you can take over and do it which is just really cool or it just makes it easier to work uh outside of the context of a game so i don't have to be running a game in a level trying to find things to run and jump and climb on in order to you know take care of all my actions Listen, I don't know about you, but I have learned a lot about game development from watching Mythic Quest, and I promise yeah. that's nothing about how they did it. <laughs> that's right. Sorry, I just finished. I just finished that. The show's um, so great, by the way. That should be tip of the week material, right it, there. It is yeah. tip of the if week. If you material. haven't watched Mythic Quest, I don't know why you haven't watched. You'll, Mythic you'll Quest. need to pay for Apple TV or go buy an Apple device, and then you'll get it for a year, and then go watch it. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Uh, analytics like Google analytics, what are people doing in your games? Uh, so that's like another kind of thing that like a, a game engine might add. I just thought it was interesting. Also, <laughs> speaking of ads, different kind of ads, uh, ad systems. So the ability to integrate ads into your game and break at certain points and also the, the ability to kind of build and target different platforms. So like, uh, you know, you've got to pay for it, uh, in order to, to get all of the, uh, the consoles and stuff, but, uh, you can target multiple platforms. So, you can build for Xbox or iPhone or uh, a Switch, Nintendo Switch, uh, things like that. So I, it's really, just those I, I didn't know that. So PlayStation, Switch, all those, you could do all of them with Unity? Yeah. There's just different build targets. It's That's crazy. pretty awesome. 
Yep. And each one will have, sometimes they'll have their own kind of requirements for things you have to like be like, you know, in order to get kind of certified for the stores and stuff. So you have to go like register for like the Nintendo store and, you know, and you have to register for the PlayStation store. And so there's some, some extra steps there, but yeah, I mean, one tool to, to build them all. It's great. It's insane. It's a yep. little, it's a little bit crazy that you could write that one, one program and run it everywhere. Yeah, and and one of the reasons I'd looked at Unity in the past too was if you want to do VR stuff, they're set up in the IDE to handle it. Like they you've got all the tools that you need right there to do it. Yep. This episode is sponsored by Linode. Simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in half with Linode's Linux virtual machines. Develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. Whether you're developing a personal project or managing larger workloads, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions. Get started on Linode today with $100 in free credit for listeners of Coding Blocks. You can find all the details at linode.com slash codingblocks. Linode has data centers around the world with with the same simple and consistent pricing, regardless of location. You know, Linode's been doing this since 2003, uh, almost 20 years now of hosting. They've been doing a bang-up job, and uh, we've been using them for a long time. You ever think about uh, hosting your own build server? Great spot to do it. Uh, what about a game server? You want to, okay, I don't know, keep track of your high scores or, uh, I don't know, just keep track of your uh, you know player logins or whatever. Great way to do it. And $100 and free credit will get you a long way. And you can easily spin up your own CSGO. It's like right there in their marketplace. And you know what? How about this, though? This is pretty awesome because we've talked about like the, the block storage that you can do with Linode. Now, you know our love of SSDs, right? Do you know that they're using NVMEs for their block storage? They just did a global rollout of it. NVMe M2 for that storage. I, I so badly want to see that data center in person because that sounds amazing. But yeah, so, you know, like Jay-Z said, if, oh man, if you wanted to spin up your own Jenkins server, you can, and um, let's talk because, you know, but you can, you absolutely can. You can go to the marketplace. It's super easy. CSGO, like Jay-Z said, or whatever other games you want. But there's also like, they make it so easy. They got stack scripts so you can automate automate your deployments. You want to spin up your own Kubernetes? It's literally a click of a button. You just go in there, you click on the Kubernetes, click on create cluster. You're like, oh, I don't know. Like how, how many nodes do I want on it? How much memory do I want it? Select some more buttons. Boom, done. That's that's the great thing about using Linode is how easy they've made their platform. You can choose the data center nearest to you. You can you also receive 24 by 7 by 365 human support with no tiers or handoffs regardless of your plan size. And you can choose shared and dedicated compute instances or you can put your $100 credit on S3 compatible object storage, managed Kubernetes and more. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Visit linode.com slash coding blocks and click on the create free account button to get started. Again, that's linode.com slash coding blocks. Okay, well, here we go. Um, Let me prep for this. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Evening, dear listener. (laughs) 
And thank you for joining us here at uh, www.codingblocks.net slash review. And if you would be so kind as to leave us a review, if you haven't already, we would greatly appreciate it. (laughs) And forever be in your debt. This one goes out to our listeners across the world <laughs> that have yet to leave us a review. I should have said that. That would have, <laughs> yes. been, that would have, been, that would have made it better. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah. So with that, we head into uh, my favorite portion of the show, Survey Says. All right. So a few episodes back, we asked, do you have TikTok installed? And... <laughs> And your choices were, heck yeah, I love those videos. Or, nope, no way, never. All right, so uh, this is episode 173. So according to Tatutko's trademarked rules of engagement, Alan, you are first. Hey, I have to point out, we, we should have had an option on here that was like, I did until I heard you guys tell us how evil it was, <laughs> and then it got deleted. Um, but I'm, man... I honestly don't know. I'm going to hope that people said, nope, no way, never. And because uh, I got that math chicken in me, I'm going to say that we're going to win at 51%. Wait, that's not how that works. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really should have said 49%, right? <laughs> but, but yeah. Uh, all right. Well, this is tough. Uh, you know, I especially love the little orange ones. Um, the, uh, the green, I guess it's mint. Those are gross. But, uh, yeah, so I'm going to say, yeah, I love those Tic Tacs at 51%. <laughs> tic Tacs. I was wondering where the red, the orange and the green were coming from. Okay, got it. Orange are so good. They are good. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> okay. So, um, but you, I'm trying to find, I forgot to like, uh, I'm, I'm in the background scrambling to get to the poll here. And I messed up in the notes here as to like what that number was. Okay, I found it. But. Uh, you both said 51%, but he likes the tic tacs, and I said we don't. Okay, okay. So Alan says, Nope, no way, never 51%. And Jay Z says, Heck yeah, I love those videos. 51%. He should have gone 49, though. That's that's the way it should have been, right? Right? Yeah, yeah this is the first time ever that <laughs> we've had like a split vote that actually makes sense. <laughs> And so, therefore, on those grounds, I object to this contest. <laughs> this, this is wrong. Sustained. Yeah. Fine. Uh, okay. Tactical. Okay. So, then the answer is Alan wins. Woohoo! Wow. All right. 91%. Wow. No, no way, Whoa. never. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, at least among our listeners. Wow. Uh, it's not it's not that popular. So, you know, hey. Yeah, do we um, have a link for why you should consider not installing it? <laughs> we probably <laughs> should have talked one. about it, but yeah. yeah well, I think the show notes will have a, a link to uh to why Google? you should not <laughs> yeah. install it. Right. Go- yeah. Let me Google that for you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. So TikTok TikTok uh, privacy. Jay Z is telling him to come out with the wrong results. He's yeah, what's the problem like, here? I don't understand. TikTok seems Says, fine. Right here, TikTok.com. We do not collect any personal I uh, see their, information. Their nutritional value is right there. That's right. That's right. Oh, that 
tic-tac.com. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Well, whatever. They actually do have a, a privacy policy. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I went to the doctor the other day. And I'm like, doc, you got to help me. I'm addicted to Twitter. And then my doctor was like, I don't follow you. <laughs> nah. Very nice. Good, good delivery, sir. Who's yeah, that from? You're welcome. Uh, that's just from Dad Jokes. Dad Jokes killing oh, it. Yeah. Dad Jokes. Good one. But but I, I do have another one from the Slack community though. If you're if you're ready for it. But of course. I'm ready. Okay, let's see. This is not your survey, but let's see like if you can figure this one out. Do you know what do you know that T shirts is actually short for Tyrannosaurus shirt? Is that true? I didn't it's absolutely true. I read it on the internet. No no you don't you don't know why? No, it's because of the small arms. Okay, okay. <laughs> that one's from Lars. Thank you, Lars. <laughs> Thank you, Lars. Yeah. So, okay. So, I don't know why, but for this episode, uh, we decided that this episode survey would be about container management because nothing screams game engine like containers. containers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, you think about it, they're probably running in Kubernetes and spinning up a bunch of pods on the fly. You know, they're, they have some kind of container behind them. So, okay. All the formalities aside, <laughs> what's your container management of choice? And your choices are good old reliable Docker desktop or rancher desktop. I like my container management free and open like the wild west. Or Podman, because the little otter's logo is so cute. Mm. This will be a good one. All right. So let's talk about the game developer industry. So again, I've learned everything that I needed to know about this, again, from Mythic Quest. And I'm not so sure I want to work in that industry from what I've, <laughs> yeah. from what I gather. Yeah, I, mean, I just read a. I just uh, read you're a book. muted, Jay Z. Jeez, oh, bees. I just read uh, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, which is all, uh, you know, in part about how terrible things are across the industry. <laughs> but, Was it, uh, you I, recommend I that the, book? Yeah, yeah. I should have. I should have had it as my tip of the week. Isn't it a real really? like biography or autobiography about um, somebody who works in the industry or what? They it went over like nine or ten games, like a lot of games, and just kind of told the story of like different games. Some of them got canceled, some that were smashing successes, and just basically talked about um, what it took. You know, the kind of history of like what it took to get those games to delivery. And sometimes they were delayed massively for years. Sometimes they had to release much quicker than I thought because they're running out of money. And so they had to rush. And it kind of, the, the point of the book was kind of that, uh, for some reason, there's something about the game industry where like every single release is just like, uh, almost like, uh, a weird, unique disaster mm. <laughs> crisis. And, uh, you know, I didn't really offer any, uh, reasons behind that but he's got the guy who wrote it uh which we'll have a link for it uh he just put out a new book i haven't read yet so maybe uh maybe he's got some some answers now but jason shire shire i think it is i was so close yeah he's got a podcast (laughs) too uh come on he has a podcast Um, uh, also yep triple click triple click all right oh i like the name yeah it's good it's a good show 
All right. Well, so uh, I got together some stats here. I thought it might be fun to kind of do like a little kind of guessing game, you know, whatever, like not a formal game, but uh, just put together some questions I had that went out and looked at the answers. And I thought it'd be fun to like kind of lord it over you guys. Uh, <laughs> awesome. So uh, how big do you think the gaming industry is? We talking dollars? Yeah, we're talking dollars. Yeah. I mean, because it's already a known thing that like Activision kept breaking records over and over and, and had bigger releases than Hollywood ever did. So it's way bigger than the movie industry. Yeah. By do you have a guess? Maybe. Yeah. What's the factor? How many times? I, I mean, 50 I, billion. 50 I would billion. say it's, it's probably like two to three times the movie industry. Okay. Yeah. So I'll tell you. Um, so movies are $41 billion last oh. year. Yeah. So 150, uh, and- $200 billion. 150 billion. Yeah. You guys are right about there. So, uh, in 2019, so movies, 2020, 41 billion, but you know, it was a weird year, but, um, the game industry, uh, in 2019, pre COVID gaming industry was 150 billion. Wow. Pre COVID. Let me tell you, COVID did some things for the gaming industry. They're estimated the game industry, uh, for 2025 will be 250 billion. Wow. So they're switching it to getting close to double from 2019. Yeah, so uh, already it's you know three four times bigger than the movie industry as a total. <laughs> Books are twenty five billion. Here's some fun numbers I looked up. Uh, you know Netflix. We talk about Fang companies like these big tech companies that are kind of known for like hiring and pushing things forward. Netflix is a seven billion dollar company. Wow. Yeah, and like I t- I tend to think of them as like putting out a lot of really high quality kind of you know you know essentially television but uh, shows. And uh, yeah, to put that in uh, perspective, uh, Nintendo is about fourteen billion dollars a year. They're so two Netflixes. They're two Netflixes. Yeah, it's about they to. should be the N in Fang. Hmm. By the way, uh, Microsoft, who is not part of Fang, the acronym, uh, they're one hundred and sixty billion for their <laughs> gaming or just Microsoft? just total. Okay, just yeah. Microsoft. They don't. They they do um, break down, uh, and so you can see what sector it's in. But uh, Xbox is combined with some other stuff, and like the consumer, so it's kind of hard to say. So I didn't pull their stats. Um, Sony also mega company, but they also you know they they make a lot of hardware and just a lot of different stuff, televisions, uh, refrigerators. Yeah, so big money, much bigger than movies. Wait, and when's the last funny. time you saw a Sony refrigerator? Yeah, sir? I was gonna say they make a refrigerator. <laughs> Do what? Do you guys saw Sony's refrigerators? <laughs> he just said it and moved on. And I was like, hold up. Yeah, I was like, are you thinking of Samsung? I think he is. I'm thinking of Samsung. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, you know, Sony. Whoops. No, no. Uh, yeah, they All make right. TVs. All right, yeah, move it on. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Uh, yeah. So anyway, it's kind of funny. Like my parents always kind of had the notion that like video games weren't, uh, you know, like we're just kind of like a small hobby. And so it's just kind of funny to think of like being so much bigger than, you know, like the movies are It's kind of never were just kind of funny and music industry. I don't even know if they make any money anymore, unfortunately. Well, you know, you know, the crazy part about this throwing these numbers out there is, and, and I've thought it forever, like game development has gotten so expensive, right? Because the art is so much better. The, the requirements that like people don't want a, an unpolished game. And we were kind of locked in. Like you guys remember back in the Sega Genesis days and all that, like the games were 30 bucks. Like that was a high end AAA game. And then. And then it bumped up to 50 bucks, you know, I don't know, a decade or more ago. And then it got up to 60 and it kind of stayed there for a long time. Those days are gone. And now 
70 is sort of the new norm, right? So, I mean, yeah. 70 is the new 20. Yeah. We're starting to see it now. And, and I, so what you were saying, like where it was just this hobby, right? The, oh, it's, you know, whatever. I'm going to let my kids have their fun. No, this, this is a legit industry with a lot of money that's going to get thrown around. Yeah. How many companies do you think uh, there are game development companies? Uh, and I was only able to find numbers for the U S for this, unfortunately. How many game, like we talking wow. indie and triple yeah. What, what, yeah. And it could also be, about like mobile plus desktop plus console. Yep. Uh, it could also be tools companies too. So just gaming industry. Companies. Man, I'll say 500. Yeah. I mean, I, with if you're counting all the mobile kind of game development that could just be like a single person company i mean oh, ah, you got to be in the thousands yeah so 2500 companies 220,000 jobs wow yeah but you ready for your draw drop okay those numbers were from 2015 oh oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm willing to bet it's gone up quite a bit since Probably 2015 double. was like did, was the PlayStation 4 even out in 2015? Yeah, it was. It was. Okay. Yeah, because we're on the PS5 now. I think they were on that for about 10 years. But, I mean, you were talking about, like, the go, just rewinding for a moment, though, you, about the size of the industry and the development and everything, though. But, like, game development has made huge impacts in movie development, too, because, like... I mean, honestly, have you ever seen a Marvel movie? It's like one large cutscene yeah. from a video game, yeah. Yeah. right? With like all the special effects and everything that's happening in there. Like at some point, all the CGI, like what's really the different about it mm-hmm. than from a game? Yeah, yeah, me. Uh, but yeah, I'm willing to know if there's the more games there. So uh, here's, a, here's a fun stat. Uh, how many games were released last year? On Steam, we'll just we'll just limit to Ooh, Steam. On Steam, oh man, but that's yeah, a lot of indie PC. devs that can easily deploy to Steam. Though I'm going to go yeah, with Steam. The- does you can't uh, Steam does have an application process where you have to describe yeah. your game, it has to meet certain criteria. I'm going to go with what your 2015 number of uh, of thing, 2,500. Yeah, I'm going to say 2,500 games last year. Uh, try 10,000. Wow, last year. Yep, and they're expecting it to increase. And that's 10, why games. That's why Rockstar can afford to send me like all of these cool stickers. <laughs> right? They are really and cool. All of the cool color variations and the amazing hat because you know ten thousand games. You know, like how many billions? Two hundred fifty billion in twenty twenty five. Yeah, I'm uh, gonna so- go get into the game industry. <laughs> yeah, it's competitive. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, like one minute ago, we're like, it's a complete disaster. Don't work in it. It's tough. Uh, crunch. Uh, so how about this? Um, what do you think about the breakdown of sales for uh, PC, uh, console, and mobile games? Oh, and mobile, definitely. Yeah. I think is high on there. Like, you don't want it to be, but it's so easy to do those in-app purchases, those small little microtransactions that I think make it the dominant factor. Yeah, I would say yeah. mobile, then console, and then PC. I would agree with that. Yep, uh, mobile is about fifty percent. Wow, of uh, total, and PC is uh, less than console. But uh, the PC and console are kind of closer. So uh, the stats I got, it's using a different number from the hundred fifty billion. So it was a different article. But we got mobile at ninety billion, PC at thirty five, and console at forty nine. 
that clash of clans i mean it ain't gonna play itself so i mean you gotta like invest some time some money yep yep (laughs) get stuck on candy crush you're gonna spend that buck to get past level you know whatever yeah yeah uh how long does it take to make a triple a game oh i remember call of duty they 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 were like a three-year cycle if i remember right like they already had the next game you know planned yeah, like whatever, mm-hmm. like the team that just developed a game this year, like they would start immediately focusing on the next game that would be three years out. Yep. Yeah, use multiple studios. So yeah, I couldn't oh, find I a good average on this. That. that was also part of the reason why Activision like each game versus- would be, no, 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 it was always owned by Activision, but like it might be uh, released by like, I don't know, like a Bethesda was the game developer that Activision uh you know, hired for one version of the game versus another game. Yeah, I, for, I totally forgot about that part. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, basically what I found is like one to ten years. Ten years is on the long end. Um, there's definitely been a few cases of those, and those uh, have mixed results. <laughs> so being in development longer doesn't necessarily mean better. Like Cyberpunk, obviously, you know, was a, a stay out there. It was in development for nine years, and the launch was pretty rocky, unfortunately. Uh, now there are um, some solo developers that have kind of um, you know made some some big games like Axiom Verge. If you're familiar with that, uh, Braid was a breakout. That's one person. Uh, my Minecraft is probably the busy, biggest example of a game that was made by one person. Flappy Birds. You know, Flappy Birds. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Stardew Valley is the one I think a like um, person uh, worked on it for years. Undertale, another one. So you know, there's still definitely kind of indie games, but. It's pretty cool. Well, one thing I kind of um, took away from reading about this is you want to make money in the games industry, like sell shovels. You hear about that? Um, the people, the, the people who made money during the, the California gold rush, it wasn't the people out there digging, it's the people selling shovels. So the utilities, like what you were talking about earlier, the game driver engine or whatever. Yep. So yeah, there's a lot of money to be made just in the kind of the tooling and even like things like legal services, um, you know, marketing, all that sort of stuff. Like there's money to be made and well, it doesn't have to just be building games. I mean, look at it from the point of view of like Steam, right? I mean, oh, yeah. that's exactly what you're describing, right? Like they're they're making totally. money off of you making a game and putting it on their platform. Well, the Apple Store, right? That's oh, that yeah, was one sure. of the things <laughs> that I mean, mobile development people were mad at them forever because they take a seventy percent, no, a thirty percent cut of everything that gets sold. But unless you're Epic, and in which case you don't do it, and right? Then, but <laughs> but you're getting those games in front of a lot of eyeballs that you wouldn't have had. It's the reason why people sell on Amazon, right? It's the same exact phenomenon, right? Yep. I mean, you lose a yeah. penny on this sale. <laughs> and if you lose a penny on the next sale, I know where you're yeah. going, sir. If I lose a thousand, if I lose a billion pennies, I make money. Yeah, that's right. That's how it works. No, no, yep. it, it makes sense. It just math and a chicken. Math. People are going to be yelling at us right now over driving down the road, right? Road rage. But they know I'm right. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. seems like that sometimes. Like, I don't even know. Like, Pretty much all my favorite, like the companies I spend the most money with, like none of them are making a profit. I don't know what the heck's going on. I remember Amazon didn't for forever. Forever. Tesla, like, like their stock price kept going up and up and up. They didn't turn to profit until recently. Like none of it doesn't make sense. I don't know. crazy the world. Yeah. Yeah. I Same. give up. Let's just start a business and not make money and let's see what we can make it make. I mean, in the 90s, yeah. all you had to do was like start a business, get a domain, and then buy a Super Bowl ad. And you were like, woohoo. Boom, yep. we've arrived. <laughs> you know, a little sock puppet. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. That's it. Yep. 
so next I just kind of list uh, of popular game engines. We've talked about this before, so I'm not going to really, uh, you know, kind of go to these uh, in depth, but just want to kind of call out some highlights. So Unity is obviously the one I keep talking about. Uh, supports 20 plus platforms. I don't even, I can't even name 20 platforms. Look like his Blackberry in there. Like, what the heck? <laughs> Uh, so it's, that was interesting. Uh, I did find a really nice um, article that went down. I saw this on Hacker News a couple weeks ago that went through and broke down uh, the game engines used on Steam. And they figured out that 50% of all games on Steam uh, coming out now are made with Unity. Hmm. And Unity and like Unreal is like the next biggest aside from other. And it was like 10%. So it's a big jump, big jump down. And there's a lot of stuff just kind of custom and, you know, just kind of smaller engines that are in there too. But yeah, it's just kind of crazy to see just how much mindshare that has. Uh, and so I've got a list of uh, Unity games that uh, are, is on Wikipedia. Surely not complete, but it's a ton of them. It's kind of crazy to see. And also uh, looked up uh, the licensing fees. So for Unity, the pricing goes anywhere from zero for free. They have student plan too. Uh, up to $2,400 at the, the max like enterprise level with the support plans and all that sort of stuff. And it includes like free assets and training and all sorts of other stuff. But uh, there's also a plan right in the middle for like 300. And the deal is you can use the free plan and you can make money, you can publish your games and uh, you're totally good on the free plan. If you're making less than or have funding less than a hundred thousand dollars a year, which not bad free no. tool for hundred thousand. All right. Yeah, that's not bad because basically what they're allowing you to do is go build the awesome game that you want to build, and if you do get successful, hey, then then give them back a little bit, right? Like I actually yeah. like that business model. There's there's nothing wrong with that in my mind. Yeah, yeah. And what's crazy is um the the first step up from that is three hundred dollars a year. So if you make a hundred thousand dollars of your game, pay us three hundred. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. happily. Hard to be mad about that, right? Yeah, happily. Yep. That's like saying, like, just buy us a beer. Right. That's the equivalent. Seriously. And, and again, I go back to the whole, you know, you're paying $300 a year. It, and it's weird. You know, like when you're younger, you're always trying to get things for free. As you get older and you've spent so much time developing stuff, like Jay-Z just did this with the canine stuff, right? Like, it's so useful to him that he was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to pay this guy for having done this amazing work. And that's what you start to realize is, Man, paying $300 a year for a tool that saves me, you know, a thousand hours really makes a lot of sense. Yeah. In like my beer analogy, I do want to point out that like clearly you'd have a drinking problem if, you know, your idea of a beer is $300. So, or that, but I want to see somebody about that. It might be Uh, 300 Jamaican dollars. Good stuff. 300 Jamaican dollars. I mean, unless it's like a really high-end uh, beer that would cost that much, but I don't really think that beers get that kind happy, of extreme. Happy Van Ribbon. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, seek some help, you know. Yeah. So uh, the, the uh, next engine I was going to mention is Unreal. And the way I kind of thought of it is uh, I got a list here of AAA games, or, or not AAA games, just Unreal games. And... Um, yeah, my kind of way of explaining that is just like think of if you're a gamer, think of ten games. You know, like think of like the ten best games you can think of, and probably half of those use uh, AAA, and the other half are custom. Uh, so Unreal is definitely the kind of more uh, enterprisey kind of um, engine. It uses C plus uh, plus. 
Uh, it's got a ton of games that were made with it. It's been around since like, whereas the nineties is basically when it first got its start. And so I, I instantly think of the unreal tournament games, which is what this engine came out of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, is like somehow the engine surpassed the the game. game. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like we haven't, like I remember unreal tournament from the Mm nineties and yet unreal engine has still been a thing for decades after. It yep. was that good. Yeah. And I don't now, even think they never sold poorly. It's just, they were like, they got making so much more money selling shovels. I, I do want to, I do want to point out though, that a new unreal tournament is on its way. Interesting. There's a, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I'll put a link here. The pre alpha season starts. You can, you can uh, download for free. That's nice. And a Fortnite has got to be the, probably the biggest one. Uh, it's just, this came out of nowhere, you know, recently. I guess not, not, not out of nowhere, but it's just such a smash hit and makes so much money. Um, here's, uh, here's Unreal's deal. Uh, so AAA quality, like some of the best games, you know, in the world are made with, uh, Unreal, uh, super high quality. You're going to be doing it in C. They do have an asset store. Everything I talked about in Unity, they probably have to. Um, now they do charge a royalty fee. It's negotiable, but uh, they want 5%. Oh, sorry. Um, excuse me. 5% after you start making a million dollars. Yeah. I'm oh, again. geez. Yeah. Hey, hey. After your first million, 5%. Right. Yeah, fine. Right? Yeah. Like, that's fine. Of course, they have lesser plans that you can pay for, you know, buy seat and negotiate and get some source contracts and all that sort of stuff. If you do pay to, you get access to the source code of the engine, which I always thought was really cool. So if you needed to go in there and really tweak it or change it or make it your own, you know, if you need to do that, we talked about that optimizing for those AAA games. Like you can do that. So you're gonna be I, paying for it. I wonder like how their licensing terms work though. Like is that a million in, you know, gross sales or pro- net profit? Because, okay. because the reason why I, I question that, <clears throat> I know that we're like, you know, you're like looking at a gift horse in the mouth, you know, kind of situation you might argue, but you know, once you get to that first million, like how much investment did you have to spend to get there? Right. Like that 5% may still be a a big burden. You know what I mean? It could be, but I mean, if you think about it like this, 5% of a million bucks is $50,000, right? Mm -hmm. That's less than the cost of a developer. So, I mean, you, you, you know, you're getting a lot for what you're getting out of it. You know? Yeah. I mean, you definitely, obviously if you're pulling in a million, million, you've got mm -hmm. some serious potential, uh, to to get going, I, I was just you know curious how's like oh, sometimes the details matter. After, right? It's after your million, after a million, right? So yeah, after right. you make a million, now you're going to drop fifty grand a year or whatever. I'm right. assuming so you make that yeah. first million, and now you yeah. make a million and one dollar, and yeah. now they're like, okay, you're over a million. I want it, and so that's why I was saying like, yeah. you know, well, a mi- million want it, so that you give them <laughs> you give them five percent of that one dollar. Oh, oh, so we're talking yeah. about like tax. Um, yeah, like it's a royalty after your first million. Oh, okay, yeah. that's fine. So for your second million dollars, you You're owe paying 50, fifty. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. I like that better because right on. Like I said, like you know, you could have had a serious amount of investment to get to that first million that you're still trying right. to recoup. So that that seems. Much more generous. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. You imagine like you're bringing, starting to bring some money in, you're happy, you're happy, and you're like, oh, wait, it's getting close to a million dollars. Slow down, slow down. Kill the game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Take it down. <laughs> Rename <laughs> it. <laughs> Rename it. 
<laughs> uh, so the next one I got on the list is uh, Godot, which uh, spelled like Godot. Uh, I only recently Googled how to sp- how to say it. Uh, but it's open source, and I bring it up because it's growing in popularity. It kind of looks uh, like a similar model to like Unreal and Unity. But uh, the cool thing about it, or the thing I think is really cool about it, is that you can use a variety of different languages for it. It's got bindings. So at its heart, it's doing like C++. It's native. But you can write your stuff in a, you know, a bunch of different ways, which is pretty cool. Uh, so I looked at uh, using it with Kotlin for a little while ago. There was actually some problems with using Kotlin and JVM-based languages. Um, mainly around, um, you know, go Godot, just like the others, you can target different things. So if you want to target the web, uh, WebGL, then you can do that. But Kotlin didn't work very well because there wasn't a direct path to go from Kotlin to JavaScript. And so it was kind of a, like a, one of those weird stipulations where it's like, yeah, you can use Kotlin, but not if you're publishing to the web, which if you're doing a game jam, that's your primary target. So. Yeah, this is the one that I that I had actually done last year when we did the game jam and I was impressed with it. Like it has its own little IDE and I mean it's surprisingly well polished for something that I'd never even heard of. Yep. Yeah, it's really nice. I mean really popular. I mean super popular. Like so uh well I should say rising in popularity pretty quickly. <laughs> it's the one percent of the one percent. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, when when you're competing against Unity and and Unreal, like you know, having a slice of the what's left over is still pretty good. Yep. And uh, there are a bunch of other game engines which we don't have to get into. Um, Chords is the one for Kotlin. Um, there's a, but there's a bunch of other ones. And there's a lot of smaller kind of toolkits if you want to kind of go your own path. JavaScript alone probably has like a hundred different game engines of you know various uh, varying degrees of quality. Um, but uh, all of those are you know. They're really cool ways to make games. I do have one last question though. Okay. Since Hit me. the game January jam is coming up. The sign up is live. You can sign up now. And I know we're all planning on doing it. So what are you thinking for your kind of game engine? If you have one and just kind of rough mechanics, you have any ideas of what you want to do this year? Well, I mean, clearly uh, I think I was on the, the right track with um, angular. <laughs> Yep. Um, I honestly, I don't know because I, I, the not being a game developer already and having any experience with unity, uh, those types of things seem very daunting, but mm-hmm. I kind of want to do that, but be able to target the web though, because and the only reason why I like, I, like I definitely have the web as like, uh, a goal, for whatever I produce to just because it's so much easier for people to view your game. And not only like you reduce the friction and also they might be more inclined to play it because otherwise if it's like, Oh, I got to download some random binary and run it and it's not signed or anything. I have no idea. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. So Honestly, the one that that I would probably gravitate towards as well is Unity, but it's more because I do have VR and I would love to try and do something. And I don't know if I will, but like an escape room type deal. Oh, Um, cool. You know, like a a virtual escape room where you're interacting with with things in the room to try and get out. And there's, there's actually some of them already in, you know, in Steam's store. And they're really good, man. They're so much fun. So 
like that, that seems like that'd be a lot of fun to try to try and do something. Yes. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I, I'm dead set on unity and definitely targeting the web. And for me this year, uh, I've always done like turn-based type stuff. And so this year I definitely want to do something that's going to be 3d and kind of physics based. But most importantly is I really want to focus on like level design. So I, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to work too hard on mechanics. I hope I like, I'm going to try and keep it simple. And I just really want to have fun trying to make interesting like levels and kind of like focus on the, the artistic side of it. Just cause I think it's going to be fun to, I, you know, I'm probably going to be spending four days in front of a computer. Like I want to spin it with pretty graphics, you know? Right. Cool. Yeah. So that was it. So I hope you enjoyed the show. I did. I did enjoy the show. And thank you for asking. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll have plenty of links in there, resources we like uh, for this episode. And with that, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about Unity again here. So uh, Pro Builder hinted at it earlier. It's a free tool available in Unity. You have to grab it via the package manager, but it's specialized at uh, making polygons. And the real trick here, the thing that makes it cool is the usability. It's a collection of probably like 20 different tools that lets you do things like uh, duplicate vertices or duplicate edges or duplicate surfaces. And when in practice, what that means is like you kind of grab, you basically start with a square and you're like, um, let me split this surface in half. And now I've got, uh, you know, a cube and now there's a line in the middle. I can grab that line, drag it up. And now I've got like a house type shape. And uh, if I want, I can, what they call, uh, I think it's called intrude. Let me take this face and intrude it. So now I'm pushing the surface inwards. So now we've got like a, almost like a milk carton kind of shape. And uh, let me uh, extrude this part so I can make like a spigot. Now I've almost got like, um, you know, something like a, like a flower pot or whatever. You know, all this is really hard to describe on a, a show. But that, just the idea is that really quickly you can manipulate these polygons and then save them out as an object. So it's really amazing for quickly prototyping things, but also building cool, like geometrical, like almost like star Fox type ships or whatever. It sounds like Google SketchUp inside unity is what it is, or yep. like a so, CAD type tool inside unity. Yep. And then the only thing that, the, that makes it really special, is just the usability. So you can use like a shortcut here and now you're um, adding new edges, added, adding new surfaces, growing those surfaces, um, you know, flipping them inside out, mirroring them. So you can just really quickly do some things. And uh, I've seen people just really make really cool things really quickly. Awesome. Very neat. Uh, okay. Well for mine, you know how we, we've been fans of some of the, um, the big companies and their blogs, right. As it relates to like the technical challenges and hurdles that they've had to overcome. And, uh, you know, in the past, we've talked a lot about like the Netflix blog or, or engineering blog, that is, or uh, the Uber engineering blog. Well, Mike RG sent a link to us in Slack, <clears throat> which if you're not a Slack again, uh, head to www.codingblocks.net slash Slack and you can uh, add yourself to that amazing community. Uh, but it's called Processing Billions of Events in Real Time at Twitter. And as you know, we have you know, been uh, studying the ways of designing data intensive applications and Twitter has been a topic of conversation occasionally during that uh, book. And um, <clears throat> this article was as of 
uh, just October. So, you know, like weeks ago and it was amazing. Some of the things that they were doing there, they're processing with their current architecture, approximately a gigabyte per second of data coming in. That's nuts. Is that, that is just amazing. That's like, think about it's, it's just a simple little small 240 characters of text. Like, how do you get to a gigabyte? <laughs> I feel like Doc Brown, like 1.21. <laughs> like, it's insane. Yeah, it, it's super, it's super cool. So, so I'll send you a link to that, to that article, which, you know, thanks, Mike RG. But, uh, you know, more to the point though, like, here's another one of these great engineering blogs to just add to our list to go and, and read through. And guess what they're using, by the way? Kafka. Kafka was there. Yep. Yep. Noise. yep. Uh I think Bigtable was there. Uh they were using uh Dataflow, Cloud Bigtable, BigQuery. Oh, so uh, they bought into the Google platform. Well, Google was part of it, but they also have their own uh they referred to it as the Twitter Twitter data center. Uh and that's where like all the Kafka stuff was happening. Mm. And then they did have other parts happening in, in the Google Cloud. Cool. Yeah. All right. So mine, this one's not exactly like earth. Like it's, it's not going to shake your world, but I found this and I thought, man, I wish every language had this. So this is my love for Kotlin continuing. The more that I work in it, the more that I like it. So I'm sure that you guys have both and pick your language of choice, JavaScript, C sharp, whatever you typically choosing between, do I do a four uh, a for each loop or do I do a for I equals zero to whatever index thing. Right. And there are times when you need both the index of what you're doing a for loop over, as well as you need the actual item in that thing. Right. And so if you need the index, typically you're going to do like a four and then an index range loop. And then you're going to say, Hey, whatever I'm looping over, I'm going to try and get the element out of that thing by saying, Hey, the element equals this bracket, the index position, you know, whatever. And it's just not pretty. It's, it's kind of a bunch of boilerplate code that you write a lot. Kotlin did this thing that is just awesome. And they have a for each indexed, loop that you can do on a collection. And what it allows you to do is the two um, arguments that are passed into the function that does this for each are the index and the element. So you have them available. You don't have to write any boilerplate, ugly code to go access this, this element in whatever the collection is you have it. So let's say that you call the index index and let's say you call the element element, then you can just reference them in your block code and you're good to go. It's just a really convenient thing that was done that after I saw it, I was like, why doesn't this exist everywhere? Like, this is just really nice. Um, and I have a link to uh, an article where they do a write up of doing a for each and then also a for each index. So you can see what I'm talking about. This next one, so this is something that I ran into the other day. Um, I don't know if this is specific only to Samsung smart TVs, but I was highly aggravated because I was trying to log out of a Netflix account in there. 
and there's nowhere. There's nowhere to do it. You know how like um, if you go into the Netflix app on most any device, you have the the profile pictures, and then there'll be an edit button under the profile pictures where you can change the avatar, you can change the name. There is no button anywhere in the Samsung Netflix app to log out. And so I Googled it, and I'm like, man, I've got to be doing something stupid. And no, apparently, at least on these Samsung TVs, these people were fans of Konami video games or something, because the way that you log out of the account is while you're in the Netflix app, you do up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, up, 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 up. And then it'll bring up this screen to where you can actually sign out of the account. Wow. Yeah. Wait. when you saw when I saw that you put that in the show notes, I just thought you were making a reference to the Konami code. I didn't realize that it was like actually the thing. It was the dude. I'm serious. When when I saw the thing, I was like, "How in the world would anybody even know how to do this in the first place without googling or finding it on YouTube like I did?" But then on the other hand, I was like, "Okay, that's kind of cool. That's kind. I, I mean, yeah. I think how you're do you mad now? Yeah, you're yeah. like." Respect, yo. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit of respect. <laughs> now, I still think you're an idiot for not having a button up there, right? But, but <sighs> it did take me back to the whole, the old Contra days, right? So yeah. I was like, oh man, that's kind of cool. So yeah. Okay. All right. Well, weird, but yeah, totally, uh, totally random. It just happened. <laughs> I, I thought I'd share it out there in case anybody has a Samsung TV and maybe wants to log out on Netflix, you know? I don't like the the smart TVs though. I just I, I would mean, rather no. just have like the independent box and just let the TV be like a dumb panel. I do Absolutely. too. I do too. Honestly, um, this just happened to be a situation where I didn't really have control over it. But you know, I, I agree. I, I'd rather have a set a standalone for really for two reasons. One, usually the app stores on whatever TV that you buy aren't that great. Like they don't have it. Like if there's new apps coming out, they don't keep up with them. And two, as time moves on, they get really slow. And I don't like pushing an up button on my TV and waiting 30 seconds for it to react. Right. I'd rather, I'd rather use something like a Roku or an Apple TV or whatever that works fast. Well, I mean, speaking of the modern cable, box interfaces are so ridiculously awful i mean they should be like examples of the worst software on the planet they're first of all like this is why like i will never be okay i haven't i was a cord cutter you know over a decade ago and have remained one and i will never go back because every time i go to somebody's house where we have to watch tv on a traditional you know live kind of thing and I see their interface for like how they would select what they're going to watch. I'm like, Oh, this is painful. Like, first of all, you give me like three lines to read at one time of like, these are my choices. Meanwhile, the rest of the screen is consumed with like, Oh, let me show you an unnecessary uh, advertisement thumbnail of something that isn't one of these three things. Then I'm going to show you another uh, text blurb about something else I want to try to sell you. Then there's going to be like this bottom bottom ribbon of like more ads. And it's like, Oh my God, how, why did you make this interface so awful? Like your one job was to like give me TV and you forgot that yeah. that's what your job was. Yeah. You know what else is bad on top of that? 
is those set top boxes. If you, if you guys ever heard of kilowatt, not, not like a kilowatt. There's a device called kill a watt. Oh yes, I have that. You can plug into the wall. You can plug your device into it and find out how much wattage it's actually pulling. Yep. Cable top boxes are notoriously one of the worst offenders <laughs> in a home. Like they'll pull like, yeah, I, I know years ago they'd pull in upwards of 200 Watts constantly. They're not even on. They're yeah. just pulling a ton of wattage. So if you lived in like uh California or Texas where you have like deregulated power and it's like really extre- expensive, you know, like I, cause I had, I remember I had friends who lived in California and like anything that had a led on it at all. Like if it had a clock or just an on light or whatever, you know, unplug those things when you're not using them. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, so at any rate, yeah, the, not only do they have really bad interfaces, they're terrible on energy and, and they're slow. How are you going to have a brand new device that's so slow? I don't yeah. get it. But you know what? To your point of you'd never go back. I ended up going back recently only because like if you'll bundle the stuff, it's cheaper. Like I came out so much cheaper than paying for YouTube TV and all oh. that other kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, I give, I'll do it for two years. And as soon as you jack my price up and double it, then I'm going to go back to my cord cutting ways. Right. So it's frustrating. Yeah. I, I don't, even if I, I haven't gotten into that boat yet. And I think even if I did, I would still be like, well, I'm still not going to use your service. I, I, I only wanted the internet and, and if you're going to give it to me cheaper because you're going to give me a service that I'm never going to use, then yeah, that's on you. Yeah, exactly. And that's, it's crazy, but that's sort of what I'm going to do is I've bought it, but I'll probably stream everything. So, yeah. um, yeah, whatever. All right. Well, uh, I apologize for Jay-Z taking us on that tangent. Shame <laughs> on you, Jay. Yes. Shame. That's right. That's right. Yes. We'll ring the shame bell. All right. Uh, so subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, your cable box, wherever you like to find your podcasts. And uh, if you haven't already, uh, you know, as I asked before, dear listener, uh, this one goes out to all of you who have not already list- gave us a review. If you would find it in your heart to leave us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. And you can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. And while you're up there at WJZZ, <laughs> while you're at codingblocks.net, check out our show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And send your feedback, questions, and rants to our Slack channel at codingblocks.net slash Slack. And be sure to follow us on Twitter <laughs> at CodingBlocks or head over to... <laughs> why, do, why do you make it weird? That's the thing. Like, it was, it was already My NPR out, voice. <laughs> you make it weird. <laughs> Morning edition. <laughs> the morning, the morning. morning edition voice. Anyway, you can find all our dillies at the top of the page. Gosh. I really do think, though, that Jay-Z's next uh, podcast should be named like WJZZ or something. Yeah, that's good, right? <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs>